Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Bon Voigtlander Women's Hospital. On this edition of Women Who Lead, we'll catch up with Amy Lepp, founder of Impact 100 Oakland County, Dr. Rose Belanca, the president of Washtenaw Community College, Dr. Erica Marsh from Michigan Medicine, and we'll congratulate our May 2021 Women Who Lead honoree, Patricia Moradian of the Henry Ford. Stay with us. It's going to be a great show right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, our first guest is Amy Tatry-Lepp. She's the co-founder of Impact 100 Oakland County. And I asked Amy to join us today to give us an update on this wonderful organization. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ann and Luann. Hi, Amy. Hello. If, If you could just start out, tell us, what is Impact 100? I would be happy to. So uh, Impact 100 is part of a global organization. Um, there are uh, several in the States and also a couple in Australia, one recently starting in London. Uh, it started back in 2001 with the original founder, Wendy Steele, who just was thinking of doing this on her own. Um, her story was picked up in People magazine and people started hearing about the Impact 100 organization and asked to uh, her help for getting us started. So um, we started in 2015. And the concept is you get at least 100 women to donate $1,000. You then pool those resources and give grants away in, a, in the general amount of $100,000. So 100% of those proceeds go to grants. Um, as mentioned, we represent Oakland County. So we um, are in our region, we ask that the project, whatever that may be, would be to predominantly serve Oakland County itself. Uh, the nonprofit can come from anywhere, but we ask that the project be be housed here in Oakland County. So who, uh, do, you have, do you have a staff at Impact No, 100? we sure don't. We're 100% volunteer organization, um, a very busy working board. Um, that's the model that actually has been set up. Some of them have been able to afford that, but at the end of the day, we want, we, we run very lean. Because all of our membership dues go toward that grant, we have to do fundraising another way to cover our overhead costs. So we have something that we call the 110% club, where some women may give us $1,100. Um, we have had some very generous donations from different parties along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, we want as much to go toward that grant. 100% of the dues will, but um, at times we'll use some of our additional proceeds if we have extra that will do some matching uh, grants, et cetera, for people. I, I have to believe that a $100,000 grant to a nonprofit organization, especially um, you know, knowing what's been happening in the world over the past couple of years um, with the pandemic, would be game-changing for these um, not-for-profits. Can you give us an example of an award that you gave to an organization and you know, what that outcome was for that organization. Sure. So so I should add that um, our first year, we we were able to give away uh, $100,000. We reached our goal of, of getting 100 women to join. That first year, we worked with Variety, the children's charity. Yeah. Um, they had a project whereby they were adopting schools in Pontiac, and they were able to adopt an additional school. Uh, the really cool thing about that project is that 
they not only give away food on the weekends for the the children of the school, but it's also done in concert with the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. So the sheriffs become involved with the giving and it, it allows the children to see the sheriff's uh, department in a very different way than perhaps they have in the past. So it's really um, a twofold um, in that it's helping with p potential hunger as well as um, the whole stigma around the police force and that they're here for help. So that was our, that was one example that, that was our first year. Um, we have grown. We now this year um, were actually able to uh, get 273 women. So we have three grants of $91,000 going this year. So we just did uh, information session for nonprofits who are interested in learning more and started our grant process um, with offering a letter of intent, which basically is just simply confirming eligibility. And from there, um, assuming the organizations are, are eligible, they will go on to our formal grant process. And that involves our membership um, who would like to take part. We have five different grant review committees that will go through the applications um, very thoroughly. We have a pretty rigorous process because we obviously are the stewards of our members' money and want to make sure that we're doing the right thing in that regard. Uh, so. That starting soon, um, the membership will evaluate and that includes a financial review by another set of our members who actually do this kind of thing for a living as opposed to some of us amateurs. Uh, and then there will be site visits along the way too. Each committee will come up with one finalist. Those five finalists will present to our membership. Um, unclear yet whether we will be remote or in person. We're certainly hoping in person. Uh, did it remotely last year. So those five finalists present the members vote that night and we announce we will announce our three three recipients that night so we learned a lot remotely uh this past time and how to do this remote voting and everything else but it, it went without a hitch so pretty excited so really um we just would like to make sure we're getting the word out to those nonprofits in our in, a, in our you know metro area or wherever frankly they may be to see if there's some kind of project they've always thought of doing and um, is this their opportunity to be able to either expand it or replicate it in Oakland County perhaps they do something elsewhere so that's sort of um, where we stand in our process um, and we're really looking forward to meeting many of our nonprofits of the, of the community and many of whom have come back um, that's one thing we always say you may have applied in the past and haven't made it to the final round but one of our most recent recipients has applied every year and finally did make it to the final round so there's always hope and you know Lou it kind of reminds me in a way of Shark Tank where they present. Yes, yeah, so they have this great evening and the nonprofits present and then the membership gets to make their own decision about where the money goes and they rank the different nonprofits. And um, it's just a wonderful opportunity for women to get together and put their money and their hearts behind great nonprofits. Now, Amy, how have you felt that the organization has done? You mentioned that you had a great night last year during COVID, but just overall, how has COVID affected uh, Impact 100 Oakland County? Yeah, thanks, Ann. And, and I should mention Ann is a member and give her a shout out. So she, she knows firsthand. Um, it's been tough. I mean, I know everyone knows that. Uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, trying to connect with membership um, and find unique ways with where how we can get together virtually. Uh, the challenge of people are just burned out with Zoom yet. <laughs> We want to make sure we offer opportunities to connect. We did some walks, um, nature walks along the way. Uh, we've had different speakers come and open up those opportunities to our members. Uh, it's just been it's been challenging for sure because we, you know, people have very different views. You know, some pe people still want to have events. Some people are saying we shouldn't have it. We shouldn't even have events. So, you mm -hmm. know, so trying to just make sure we're um, giving everyone the ex as much of the experience as they can, as we can. Um, we've done, we did some food drives outdoors. Uh, that was, that was a great experience. So really just trying to be creative and look for ways that we can continue to talk with each other, be with each other. I mean, all of our board meetings, we have one tonight, uh, they've all been remote so far. Uh, we are hoping that soon we can, now that it's warm, get together. And you know, some of the other impacts that are in Florida or other places, they have the opportunity where they can get together in warmth, right? So so we're, we're on our way to that and hopefully we'll be able to do some more um, and see each other's faces live. And, you know, Amy, talk a little bit about this membership. It, it's made up of women from all walks of life. You've got some women who have been in their careers for a long time, and you've got a fair number of members who are kind of just starting out in their careers. So it's a great opportunity for women to get together and kind of do some networking, too. It is. It's a, it's such a great um, way to that I've found to meet people. Uh, we've have well, I guess I shouldn't say ages, but we have uh, one of our board members is, you know, much younger than me. Um, and it, it's great because it brings such different perspective, too. And so as we get to know and meet our members, um, I have friends that I never would have had otherwise. We talk about how, you know, we'll run into each other in the grocery store and they think, how many times have I passed you and knew nothing about you? Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, we have single young women. We have a number of women with, you know, small children up uh, through all stages of life. Um, and that's been really, really fun as well, is to see the connections between, that are drawn between everyone. And really, we know that we have one thing in common, at least, which is that we all desire to be philanthropic and give back to our local community. So we start with that in mind, and it's just been a great um, place to meet friends and, and um just network and get to know each other. It's a great example of the power of women getting together and doing something. How can people get more information, Amy Tatry Lepp, if they want to get involved? Um, we have obviously a bunch of information on our website, which is www.impact100oaklandcounty.org. Very innovative, eh? Um, <laughs> so that's you know probably the best way that 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 people can find out more. We do have some information about sort of just the founding, the original founding board and Wendy Steele and how that global organization has grown. We have information about our own and then also some information obviously about uh, how to get involved and how to apply for grants, which is really the season we're in right now as far as our, our life cycle, our annual, our annual calendar is really trying to get that word out to those nonprofits. Amy Tatry Lepp, co-founder of Impact 100 Oakland County. Thank you for your time today. It was great Thanks. to see you. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. You are listening to WJR's Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after this. You 
are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, we continue the conversation now with Dr. Rose Belanca, the president of Washtenaw Community College. And Dr. Belanca, welcome to the show. It's just great to see you. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate this. And Lou, I'm going to let you take it from here. Dr. Belanca, I'm so excited to finally speak with you and to meet you. And so my first question is, tell me a little bit about you and the journey that led you to Washtenaw Community College as its president. I'd love to. So um, I myself attended a community college because I had some obstacles along the way. And the obstacle was that I had a down day when I took my ACT test in high school always wanted to be a teacher, had great grades, took the test, bad day, didn't do well in the test, called in my mom, said she's not college material. They pulled me out of all my college credit courses and put me into home economics. I was devastated. I, re, you know, I, I remember the speaker for my commencement and I thought, you know what, you're not talking to me because I'm, I'm a loser. You're, you're not talking to me. Um, but I went to a business school because they said I should do that. And I was in the executive secretary program, which was a nine month program. And you know what? All of this was a blessing because once I was there, I heard about Macomb Community College and I never heard of a community college. And I went there and uh, there, my life's changed ever since. Mm-hmm. So I understand how sometimes people are either not given the right advice or perhaps they don't have the self-confidence they need or the resources. So that's what really makes me love what I do. In addition, you know, I did get, I was a teacher and uh, I also taught at the university level and, um, and at the community college level. The difference between the two levels was amazing. And this is another reason I love community colleges. So when I took a, taught at the university level, everyone that came in was uh, you know, pretty much the same. Um, everyone could afford the classes. They were either working or they had a scholarship or something. Then my community college class, I couldn't believe it the first day. I stood at the door, one guy came in with a suit, a business suit, another one came in with a, a uniform, I had a waitress, I had a couple, a married couple that just started a cleaning company and they took this business class because they wanted to actually learn what we were going to, what I was going to teach them to, to apply at their class, I mean at their, at their work. So I, I couldn't believe. Um, the difference and uh, the the great opportunity that that was for both the learners and for me. So that has taught me a lot about what it takes to even be a teacher at a community college because everyone is so different in your class and you really reach out to each one wherever they're at. So Rose, how, you know, we've seen that um, and we know the important role that community colleges play. Um, and we've seen through the pandemic, um, you know, that there have been resources for healthcare workers to attend community college for uh, tuition free and other um, 
in other populations of careers. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how the college is doing during the pandemic and some of the, you know, the opportunities that maybe didn't exist before the, the pandemic for people to really continue their education. You know, this is the best time, you know, and I, I'm going to start this with respectfully. I want to say respectfully because the, as you know, we all know the pandemic was was terrible in terms of the lives we lost. One of the things that came from this pandemic was the real people started working collaboratively and realizing that we had to work across lines to support, in this case, our students. So you saw faculty here learning new ways of teaching online, even though we had been teaching online since 2013 and we're one of the top five schools in the country for colleges that teach online, but we saw our faculty collaborating. And when I met with the students, I have lunch with the students and I had one Zoom lunch and one student said, I really, I liked it because my teacher and I were learning together. Mm -hmm. So you saw this collaboration across lines and I thought that was great. There are also a lot of opportunities right now a lot of opportunities for students, for women, um, a lot. And if there were, if there was anything I can say that I can't stress enough, education, continuous education is going to be our only ticket. Mine, yours, and whoever's listening, any woman who's listening, uh, we can't stop learning. And so we have put had a lot of innovative classes online. Online is really great, you know, for especially for working women, because they can take classes whenever they want to, you know, at midnight or whatever is best for them and if their child care issues. So that has been really very good. Rose, do you think that you know, I know we, we've had to adapt to flexible learning or more virtual learning. Do you, and we also know that females have been um, heavily impacted in terms of losing their jobs or trying to balance kids and their own parents with a job. So do you feel that virtual education is here to stay in some form or fashion? I know it's here to stay. Um, it has been here for a while. And what this pandemic forced all of us to do, including me, was learning how to learn online. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't an online learner. Uh, I was a traditional learner. But now it taught all of us to learn online. Yes, it is here to stay, which is a great opportunity. Um, and it, but we'll still have face to face, and there's still, you know, other opportunities for skill trades that people might want to learn. But yeah, it, it's here to stay, which is great. It is great. You can learn so much online, you really can. Dr. Balanca, before we let you go, what kind of advice do you have for women out there right now, especially women who are kind of struggling from the pandemic? You know, what can you say to them about just kind of getting started and trying to get involved in more learning? 
Well, first of all, this is the best time ever to do it because there are so many opportunities for women and men, but for women right now. There's the Reconnect grant right now that's available from the state of Michigan. If you don't have a college degree or even a high school diploma, you can apply to your community college and have, to, if you're over 25, 25 and over, and you can work towards a degree. Um, and it's tuition free. Not only that, we have COVID stimulus money, which helps people buy laptops, pay for their tuition. That's amazing. There's no better time than this. So I would encourage all women to think about this and don't think you're an anomaly. Mm -hmm. This is the richest culture you'll ever find. It's multicultural. There's people of every age. You could be in a class with somebody 70 or somebody 17 and all over the place. You will fit in. You will find someone just like you. And here in Upper Community College, we're here to support you. We have scholarships for childcare so that you can, for us, you have a scholarship to take your child to a licensed child care center near wherever you choose um, is best for you. We help with transportation costs. We help with medical costs. This is the time. And don't be worried because we have coaches. And like I said, you'll see yourself everywhere. And I can't wait to meet you. Dr. Rose Belanca, president of Washtenaw Community College. The best part about doing this show is getting the opportunity to talk to women like you. Thank you for the great advice. It was really nice to see you. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you. Thank you, Luann. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to Women Who Lead. The conversation continues in just a few minutes. And we say hello to Dr. Erica Marsh of Michigan Medicine. Dr. Marsh is here today to talk about her ongoing work fighting COVID-19 and making sure everyone has access to treatment and vaccines. Dr. Marsh, it's great to have you on the show. It's so great to be here. And thank you very much for highlighting this incredibly important topic uh, for the state of Michigan and for the country and the world. Thank you, Dr. Marshall. I'm so excited that you could be here today. Um, you know, one of the things that the pandemic has shown us is it's really put, you know, a spotlight on health disparities. And, um, you know, I was so excited to hear that uh, you had received a $1.4 million grant from the National Institutes of Health to try to do something about it. So can you talk to us a little bit about the Community Engagement Alliance Against COVID-19 Disparities? It's such important work. Thank you so much. I'm 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 happy to. So this was an opportunity that presented itself um, really at the at the in the midst of the second surge and NIH. Uh, realize the importance of not just scientific expertise, but community-driven and community-based expertise in fighting um, the battle against COVID. Um, they released an opportunity to um, 
to uh, allow um, teams from states across the country to apply for this funding in partnership with community thought leaders and community um, organizations. And um, uh, as a state that was that was hit pretty hard by COVID, we we wanted to really take advantage of that opportunity for funding to say, hey. Um, uh, uh, we know that our community members have expertise and wisdom and insights. We believe that we, in, in partnership with um, investigators based at Michigan Medicine, that we can work together to really bring that expertise to bear and um, to, to use it in a way that's going to help all of us um, um, understand COVID better, change our behaviors better, and to make sure that um, uh, folks are, are are willing to 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 um, to uh, um, uh, access the vaccine and, and and improve uptake around the vaccine. So that was our that was our hope and our vision in applying for the for the grant. And what what community partners did you work with? So we have an incredible steering committee of about sixteen community uh, uh, sixteen community. Uh, partners from across the state, primarily from four counties, Washtenaw, Wayne, Genesee, and Kent. Um, they uh, cover uh, faith-based organizations, uh, FQHCs, um, uh, social uh, community-based organizations, um, uh, and um, really uh, provide a nice cross-section across um, uh, again, uh, not just across the geography of those four counties, but across um, racial and, and ethnic lines as well, making sure that, that we are representing as many Michiganders as we can. So what are, what are some unique ways that um, this, this group is getting into the community to make sure that we're making an impact? That's a great question. Um, we're really trying to combine uh, um, uh, traditional and novel research approaches uh, um, that we've used, um, you know, in in the academy with again the insights and the wisdom um, uh, from the community members. And this is an example of what I mean by that. So we're using mixed methods approaches, which are qualitative and quantitative approaches. Meaning specifically, we're we're doing um, structured interviews and focus groups with community members across the state. We're also doing incredibly well-designed uh, uh, surveys um, uh, that are, the surveys actually focus on the Detroit community and are part of a longitudinal series of surveys that are being done in Detroit, um, but where we had the opportunity to partner with that team and, and layer on some important questions about COVID. So, so, um, so we're doing that more traditional, again, mixed methods research, but we're also doing uh, using novel approaches like having contests where the community can submit um, submit their ideas for you know how on how they can encourage uh, their their neighbors, um, uh, their fellow citizens to continue the good fight against COVID in terms of maintaining those really important uh, um, behaviors around wearing masks, social distancing, washing, you know, hand washing, not touching eyes, nose, a mouth. Um, and and we've, uh, that, that contest, if you will, is called Take the Mic. We launched it 
um, back in December. Um, we just announced our finalists that were voted on by community members. And it's just a really, a, again, a powerful example of a new approach of reaching out to the community to say, you know, um, you know, what would it take for you to change your behavior? What would it take for you to continue wearing a mask when you're really tired of wearing a mask? And we, you know, you've been doing it for for more than a year at at, at this point. What would it take for you to 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 um, keep keep doing what we need each other to do to keep each other safe? And the community, as always, you know, rose to the challenge, and we have some really incredible powerful messages from the community that we we believe will will motivate all of us to keep keep doing the right thing. Dr. Dr. Marsh, what is the biggest barrier that you are seeing? What are people saying that you know what is keeping them from from getting the vaccine? Another great question. That has that the answer to that question has honestly changed over time. Um, um, if you had asked me that last last fall, early fall, late fall, um, uh, I would have said uh, a lot of um, there was a lot of concern about how the vaccine was being developed, uh, how fast it was being developed. Um, um, and 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 a lot of misinformation, quite honestly, being um, promoted on social media um, about about the development of the vaccine. Once the vaccine went from being a theoretical <laughs> thing to being real, um, uh, so in the winter, um, the the there was an initial window where there was continued he hesitancy, but very rapidly we saw that people were willing to 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 say, you know what, this is real now, and we've been in this space for almost a year, and I'm ready to get out of <laughs> ready get I'm ready to hug my mother and my grandmother yes. and yes. my grandchildren and um, and go travel. And I think people were a lot more willing to and open to the vaccine. But then the major hurdle became access to the vaccine. Um, and that was getting muddied somewhat with hesitancy, um, particularly in communities of color. But the, real, the reality was that um, um, it was hard for many individuals to navigate the complex uh, uh, online technological forms that needed to be filled out um, uh, to get access to the vaccine. So um, one of the things that we're doing with this seal work is partnering with community organizations to offer the vaccine in, uh, in community-based organizations to help address that hurdle. And finally, before we let you go, what would you say to someone who is hesitant about getting the vaccine? I would say um, I understand your hesitancy. Um, when I got vaccinated back in December, I remember being really nervous as well. Mm -hmm. um, I remember wondering whether we, if we had um, studied the vaccine enough. But um, this vaccine has been undergone um, as rigorous uh, uh, a review as as any other vaccine that we've developed within the same time frame, and it is what is going to allow us to 
turn the tide in terms of, of, of deaths and illness that we're seeing um, from COVID. And it's what's going to allow us to to get back to, to what we thought of as our normal lives. So um, uh, I encourage you to ask questions, to get the information you need, but to ultimately say yes to the vaccine, say yes to science, say yes to data, and say say yes to, to, uh, to getting back to your normal life. Amen. Dr. Erica Marsh of Michigan Medicine, thank you so much for your time today. It was really great to meet you and hear your wonderful advice. Thank you both for this incredible opportunity and for highlighting um, um, for highlighting our, our work in the community. And the conversation will continue here on Women Who Lead in just a few minutes. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and we now say congratulations to our May 2021 Women Who Lead honoree, Patricia Meradian, the longtime president and CEO of the Henry Ford. Welcome to the show, Patricia. I'm absolutely honored and humbled to be here. Thanks, Ann. Tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, about your career. So I, I started in the, in the for-profit world, working in, uh, starting out really early in marketing and strategy for the Taubman Company. I was with them for 13 years before I transitioned into the nonprofit world. And I've now been with the Henry Ford for, for 21 years. Wow. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Pretty incredible. So you were part of the name change. Talk a little bit about that and how important that was. So that was way back early in my career, actually, with with the Henry Ford. And we were beginning to expand the experiences on our campus. We were always known as Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village. And we really needed to uh, think of a campus destination name for the uh, addition of the Ford Rouge Factory Tour, the Benson Ford Research Center. We had added the academy and we added the theater. And so there were now six venues on the campus. We needed to say, come to the Henry Ford. And when you get to the Henry Ford, you can access these different venues. Uh, so that was a big part of our initial branding work. And, and defining a brand is very, very important. And then having the continuity of that brand over years so people become familiar and comfortable with it. You know, Patricia, we were there recently with the Paul W. Smith Show for a Pure Michigan broadcast, and both Paul and I were commenting on what a beautiful place it is. If people haven't been, they really need to get out there and visit. Thank you. We work hard on that. It is a large campus, 250 acres, and so it's hard to keep it all maintained, but we have a very high standard of excellence and a great uh, crew of people who work on that. But it's very important because we are a national destination, an international destination as well. People from all over the globe visit us, and we need to continue to always expand the visitor experience and keep up with how it feels and looks to give the very best, excellent uh, experience we can give to our guests. How are you doing, Patricia Meradian, during COVID? It has to have been pretty tough for a while. We've had tremendous impact. Uh, I always say, you know, we lead with people first. The first thing that we needed to do was make sure that our guests and our staff was safe. And that was the way we have led and continue to lead uh, during this continued pandemic. 
uh, it was very hard to uh, maintain the level of, of, of staffing that we had uh, given the closures that we all experienced. We were no other different than any other business that was undergoing uh, significant shifts given the fact that we were closed for so long. Uh, even though we're a nonprofit, we still need to earn a lot of our revenue. 65% of our revenue we earn. So when, when you're closed, you don't earn. So we experienced some very significant financial impact from, from being closed. Uh, we are now you know, trying to get back on our feet. It's, it's going to take us a little, little time to build back to where we were. And tell our listeners what's available for this spring and summer, Patricia. What can they do at the Henry Ford? Well, the museum is open. Greenfield Village is open. Right now it's open. Uh, the, the museum is open seven days as we have been. The theater is open. The Fort Rouge Factory Tour is open. Uh, the village is open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, although I um, really encourage everyone to check the website before you go. We are uh, working hard to get the village open uh, full-time, but haven't quite determined when that will be yet, but sometime this summer for sure. Then we have special exhibits opening as well. We just opened Driving America, uh, which is our racing exhibition. It's phenomenal. There's a small theater in it, a 40-seat theater with a tremendous uh, 14-minute film uh, that will knock your socks off. I love it. It's it's really get your heart pumping. And you don't have to love racing to get something out of it. It truly is a, a film for everybody. And the exhibit has something for everybody. And then we have, obviously, all of our, our village rides are, are back to almost working normal. Other than the, we're not doing the Model T rides yet, but the train is the carousel. Uh, we are... Uh, the carriages are up and running. We just opened Eagle Tavern again. So we're really trying to get back to as, as much normalcy as, as we can uh, while adding new things. So coming uh, this summer will be the Jim Henson uh, Muppet experience, which will be a, a temporary experience. Uh, but again, check the website for all the times and, and changes because we're, we're trying to get everything back up to what it, what it used to be. And, you know, Patricia, before I let you go, you're such a leader in the community. What kind of advice do you have for women right now who are maybe thinking about a career change or maybe thinking about getting back into the working world, especially after struggling with the pandemic? Mm -hmm. I I think there's a lot of opportunity for that now. um, And I hope that women uh, can can really utilize um, uh, the resources they have around them uh, to get back into the workforce. The, the main thing that I tell, especially a lot of young people entering into the workforce, uh, male or female, is really understand what you value, what you value, what are your values, and then try and find an organization that also values those same qualities and characteristics, because that's when the, the good fit happens. I think that it's really important for people to work in a place where they feel uh, welcomed, where their ideas are heard and they're listened to, where they can actually contribute in a significant way and feel fulfilled by their work. And that's really important to all of us at the Henry Ford. And I take that uh, philosophy personally and try and lead with that, with people first and values first. Patricia Moradian, President and CEO of the Henry Ford, thank you for the great advice and congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
You've been listening to Women Who Lead on behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. 